Good morning. It's great to be with you. John 15 has been a passage that has been so dear to me in my following of Jesus. Um, and it's a great joy to open that together. Let's pray. Our Father, we do give you all praise and honour and glory. We thank you for who you are, that you reveal yourself to us. We pray now, Lord, as we read your word, that you would not even just challenge us, but in the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would change us, that we might be able to live for the glory of your Son. Amen. Well, what is the best invitation that you have ever received? Perhaps you were shocked to be invited to a particular event. Perhaps it was a great honour to be invited to a particular event. What, what is the best invitation that you have ever received? I'll give you a minute. I want you to chat to the people around you and ask them that question. What is the best invitation you've ever received? Go for it. All righty. We'll bring our attention back together. Would anyone like to share with the group what, what is the best invitation you've ever received? An invitation to get married. Isn't that wonderful? Congratulations. Very exciting. Is there any other fantastic invitations? To ride in a very cool car. That's what I heard. Well done, Matt. That's awesome. That's awesome. One more. One more. Yep. Go for it. Wonderful. I couldn't quite hear, but I'm sure it's a fantastic invitation. As I was thinking about it, I realised that I haven't been invited to anything too breathtaking. So please do feel free if you're having an extravagant party or if you have a plus one to throw an invitation my way. But the, the invitation that's probably meant the most to me, uh, a couple of years ago I was on a beach mission. I, I met someone on the beach mission, a good mate of mine, where he is now. We met early that year and by the end of the year, he actually invited me to come on his family holiday. It was so precious. It was. I felt so special to be welcomed into his family like that. And it was funny when we were down the coast and we'd see his extended family who were around the area and they'd ask, you know, how long have you guys known each other? How, how are you guys such good friends? How on earth did you get invited to the family holiday? And it was so special to so say, we only met that year. We just got on really well. It was a wonderful invitation I received. And the reason I asked this question, the reason that I want us to think through this is what we see in John 15 is an extraordinary invitation. The best invitation that you or I will ever receive. And that is this, an invitation to receive and be caught up with true love and true life. As Andrew helpfully pointed out last week, this life and this love isn't found in a worldly sense of the word. Rather, what I hope we'll see in John 15 is that love, this love and this life are found in and originate from God himself. The Trinity, God three in one, particularly the relationship between the Father and the Son. And according to Jesus, through him, we are invited into this joyful, flourishing, life-giving relationship. It really is a mind-boggling invitation. So as we consider these things today, there's three points we're going to look at. Firstly, the relationship of the Father to the Son. Then the relationship of the Son to the disciples. And last but not least, the relationship of the disciples to the world. So firstly, the Father to the Son. If you have your Bibles, please keep them open. I'm going to be reading from verses 1 and 2. 
verse 1 being my key verse for today. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Jesus is the true vine. That This is the last of his famous I am statements. And they're all seemingly such arrogant statements. I mean, I am the true vine. Imagine if you're the disciples and you hear a human being, someone in front of you say those words to you. Like, like if I said to you today, I, Josh Ward, am the true vine. And you are the branches, right? It is an arrogant statement. The audacity of this statement is ridiculous. And here Jesus unashamedly says to his disciples, he is the true vine. And I take it the use of the word true here is in contrast with Israel. What we saw in Isaiah 5, when they were the vine, it yielded no fruit, it yielded bad fruit. And Jesus, the true vine, would here lead to a glorious, rich and blossoming tree. So what is Jesus' role as the vine? Well, he gives life and produces fruit as the branches are connected to him. And in verse 1, it goes on to say, my father is the gardener. Have we got any landscapers in the building? I mean, you'd know the purpose of a gardener. It's to care for the vine, to see it produce beautiful, lasting fruit. And in this metaphor of the vine, the father is the gardener. What's his role? Well, he cares for and loves the son. It highlights the intimacy of the relationship between God the father and the son. Jesus, the true vine, gives life and fruit as the father allows it. The father oversees and cares for the vine, as we see in verse 2. He, the father, cuts off every branch in me, the son, that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he, the father, prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, it's interesting to note that every branch gets cut. Some the father cuts off completely, those bearing no fruit. In this context, presumably Judas. And others he prunes, like Peter and the disciples. Yet every branch that is connected to the vine gets cut one way or another. I've recently just moved into a share house with five other blokes, and it's been fantastic. But one of the things I'm more nervous about is the garden. We have a beautiful garden in the backyard. They've looked after it for years, and now these six young blokes are here who've never done any gardening. But I'm told, I have it on good authority, that pruning is perhaps one of the most important operations to maintain the fruitfulness of the vine. That, that if you want a plant to produce more fruit or more flowers, you've got to prune back the rough edges so that all of the energy of the plant can be directed towards producing fruit. This is what Jesus says the Father will do for his people. He will prune them. Imagine God pruning you, cutting off the rough edges, not to punish you, but to make you even more fruitful. 
This is a serious call for Jesus' disciples to be prepared to surrender anything about their lives that is not bearing the fruit of the gospel. And by God's grace, get rid of it, cut it off. Whether it be an independent attitude or a secret sin or or, or even a bitter tongue, through the words of Jesus, we ought to be humbly ready to be pruned by God so that we will bear the fruit of life with Jesus. Well, so far, we have the vine, the Lord Jesus producing fruit as the Father oversees and allows it in his caring for the vine. And as we are introduced to this metaphor, who are the main characters? Where does it originate from? Well, it it derives from the Father's relationship to the Son. We see this also in verses 9 and 10, if you have your Bibles. It says, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. When I was in college, we had a teacher who had just had their first child. And what me and my mates worked out at this time was that if we were ever in class and we didn't feel like doing our work, or if we ever ran into this teacher when he saw us with our shirts untucked or we were doing something we shouldn't have been, all we had to do to get out of work or to get out of trouble was ask him about his daughter. The joy that would come on his face. He delighted in her. And he's a lovely bloke. And the thing about this teacher that was obvious to anyone is that he really loves his daughter. As soon as you would ask about her or even mention her name, you could get out of work or an incorrect uniform because we knew that he loved his daughter. Friends, what I hope you can see is that the backdrop, that the bedrock of this passage, and more than that, our world is God's love for his precious son. As the father has loved me, Jesus says, that's the foundation, the loving relationship between God the father and the son. It's a joy-filled and life-giving relationship. And if there is one thing that we can know about God the father in the gospels, it is this that he delights in and loves his precious son. It is this relationship between the father and the son that is the foundation of true life and true love. In fact, life and love originate from this relationship between the father and the son. It's not an understatement to say that the the love of the father for his son is the reason for our existence. It is the purpose of creation and redemption, God's great work for and through his beloved son. And through the Lord Jesus, we are invited into this life-giving, joy-filled relationship, which leads us to our second point, the son to the disciples. So I'm going to be reading from verses 3 through 7. If you have your Bibles, that would be helpful. Verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. 
it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you will be like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What do you need to be attached to to live? Like, if you weren't attached to it, you might wither and die. I mean, we know about infants, newborn babies. They need to be attached to their parents, and particularly their mother. I'm in youth ministry, so of course we know that teenagers need to be attached to their phones, otherwise life itself is over. <laughs> but take my phone, for example, right? It's, it's currently on 96% charge. If I don't plug it into the charger over the next couple of days... What happens to it? It dies. And if it's dead, it wouldn't produce any fruit. It would be pointless. I wouldn't be able to make any of the calls. I wouldn't be able to use the phone for the purpose with which it was intended. You see, if this is not regularly attached to the charger, if this is not regularly connected with its life source, it dies. It produces no fruit and it would be useless, and it would be worth throwing away. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) But the point is, the phone depends on the charger for its life. Friends, Jesus thinks that this is the reality for us with him. He says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Our life source is the Lord Jesus. He goes on in verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. That the word remain is used nine times in our passage today. That there is no more precious lesson to learn. That this is at the heart of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. That this is at the very centre of Jesus preparing his disciples for life after he returns to the Father. And that is the life that we live. The beautiful call to be connected to and to do life with him, depending on Jesus in each step letting his word orientate and shape our lives, to remain and abide in him. That that, that is to always be resting on him, to be anchored to him, to be fixed in him, to be drawing from him, continually connected and in touch with him, that his words and his life would be in us. I wonder, and there will be a spectrum in this room, If we were to take an honest look at our lives, would you say that you are remaining in Jesus, that you're abiding in him, that you know and see that we ought to depend on him to live and seeking to live our whole life through him? 
in, in the primary areas of your life that you're involved in, whether it be work, family relationships, parenting, grandparenting, hobbies, in fact, even areas of ministry that you serve in, do we depend on Jesus through a life of prayer? Do, do we let the scriptures speak into these areas of our life? Because what does it look like to remain in Jesus? It's to let his words orientate and shape our lives. It, it looks like prayerful dependence on Jesus in, in your parenting. Praying that he would give you grace and wisdom as you bring your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. At work each day, to be committing your time before the Lord, knowing that you aren't working for men, but, but for God. Praying and depending on Jesus each day, working hard at your job and praying that the Lord would enable you to make the most of the conversations that you have with your colleagues. D depending on Jesus that you might be able to be gracious towards family members who are hard to love. You know, it's not for no reason that as a church we've uh, been trying to get soap up and running. That is regular time reading and praying through the scriptures. And if working well, this is what it looks like to remain in him. I certainly don't mean to be oversimplistic here, but the two clearest means of grace that God has given his people to do life with him is the word and prayer. It's not something that pastors just make up. In fact, if we look to the passage, if we look at verse 3, you can see that it is the words of Jesus, it is the scriptures that makes the disciples clean. In fact, I do take it that it is the scriptures, the word of Jesus that prunes the disciples. And in verse 7, we see a call to depend on our Father in prayer as his word abides in us and transforms us. Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher, was once asked, what is more important to the Christian life, Bible reading or prayer? It's a good question. And Charles asked them another question. He said, what is more important to you, breathing in or breathing out? If you've never been much of a reader, if you find praying hard, if you haven't been able to keep up with soap, if you haven't been able to spend time with God before, can I just say, remember grace. Jesus always gives a fresh start, calling us back to him in his love. And you can even grab the people around you, the other branches around us, someone from your life group or maybe a member of your family, and you can ask them to help you in your walk with Jesus to keep accountable to spending time with him through the, his word and in prayer. Friends, I also want to say, if you're someone who is growing in your regular reading of God's word and praying that into your life, keep going. Keep connected to the life-giving vine, our Lord Jesus, and in doing so, bear the fruit of the gospel. Let, let Jesus and through his word transform every area of our lives. Now, I know for some of us, Bible reading and even prayer can feel like a tick-the-box activity. It can seemingly just add stress to an already jam-packed life, getting up early to spend time with God, feeling like nothing really went in, and the call for us to remain and the call for us to abide in Jesus can seem like a heavy weight to bear and a legalistic system.
Friends, can we look at verse 11 together? Jesus says, I have told you this to make your life more complicated. He says, I have told you this to make you feel guilty. No, friends, Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus speaks all that he has here in John 15, longing for our joy to be full as we are caught up in his father's love that his joy that he has with the Father would be in us and our joy would be complete in him as his word transforms us. It is an invitation from the one who defines and creates life and love through his son to join him in that, to, to abide and to flourish. John 15 is not a picture of weary branches struggling. John 15 is a beautiful, blossoming vine that gives life and bears fruit on all the branches that are connected to the vine. It is an unbelievably joyous picture as we are caught up in God himself and abide in him. We've looked at the loving relationship from the father to the son. We've just seen how through the son the disciples are called into this love. And finally, we'll briefly touch on point number three, the disciples to the world. And if you're taking notes, can I suggest under point three in brackets, you would write in prayerful dependence on the son, comma, for the glory of the father. Now, before we press into seeing the father's plans for the disciples as they abide in Jesus to bear fruit, we, we must note Jesus never commands his disciples to bear fruit. Over and over, Jesus uses the same words and commands and calls his disciples to remain in him. And yet he never commands them to bear fruit. And so, friends, our call is not to focus on the fruit that will come. But if you want your life to be transformed, if you want to see the fruit of life with Jesus in your life, we are called to focus on abiding in Jesus that that's what Jesus thinks will produce fruit. And as we are invited into the loving, redeeming relationship between the Father and the Son, as we abide in the love of the Son, that will overflow and bear fruit in our relationships with one another and with the world around us. Jesus says in verses 12 to 17, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Love one another as I have loved you, says Jesus. 
the love that the disciples have received from Jesus, they are to pass on to one another. And of course, the question is, how has Jesus loved the disciples? And verse 13 alludes to the greatest love that he's about to show them in laying down his very life for them. We know he's served them in, on, in, in his time on earth, notably in what we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Jesus got down and washed the disciples' feet. Jesus has spoken the words of eternal life to them, no matter how hard that message was. Jesus has had compassion on the disciples. In every breath that he has breathed, he has loved them. And it is this never-ending, sacrificial love with which Jesus has loved his disciples that he commands us to show one another. And that as we are called into the Father's love through the Son, we are to extend that to the world around us. In doing so, as we abide in the love of the Son, he will transform us and use us as we bear the fruit of the gospel in our lives. As we in prayerful dependence seek to love our colleagues. As we in prayerful dependence seek to love our families. As we in prayerful dependence seek to love our friends with the love that Jesus has shown us. We will be bearing fruit. God's love and grace abounding and overflowing through his people. This is the image that John 15 provides. This is God's great plan. That in contrast to when Israel was the vine in Isaiah 5, which yielded no fruit, Jesus, the true vine, would lead to a glorious, rich and blossoming tree. That there would be an inward transformation of the Lord's people as they find life and joy in God himself, that fruit may abound. In all of this, again, I want to point out that it's not about the branches strategizing. It's not about the branches working harder to bear fruit. We know that Jesus said in verse 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. It is in prayerful dependence on our Lord Jesus that we seek to bear fruit. And even as we bear the fruit of the gospel, it's not about ourselves, but all for the glory of the Father. Jesus said in verse 8, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Friends, this really is the heart of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Here he reveals his love for us. Here he reveals his will for us, for his disciples to abide in him. That this is the longing and call of Jesus on our lives. And it truly is the best invitation we will ever receive to be caught up in God himself through the love of his beloved son. So friends, this week and in the coming months, abide in Jesus. Find joy in Jesus. Live our life through him. Remain in him. Be built up in God's word. Do indeed let God's word even prune you. Be prayerfully dependent upon our Lord in every area of your life, knowing that each day we are sent out to bear fruit as we abide in him. Some of us, even this day, will be sent to love our children, to love our families, and to love our friends, to, to serve them, to speak the words of eternal life to them, 
to, to give up our own lives and our own preferences, that they would know of the grace and life found in our Lord Jesus. Perhaps for you, this could look like making time to pray for your one wins one friend each day. Perhaps it's coming to the just listen, soap and pray and being equipped to ask them a question or two about Jesus. It is a wonderful vision of life the Lord, our Lord gives us here. That above all else, to remain in him, to depend on Jesus and his words, that we would bear the fruit of the gospel to the glory of the Father. I'm going to pray that that would be the case now. Our Father, we do thank you and praise you. We thank you for your love for your precious son, a love that we are welcomed into. We pray, O Lord, that we would abide in Jesus and in doing so bear much fruit for your glory. Amen.